Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt, a lesson on generous living. How have we gotten to a place in the very wealthy American church where we divorce finances from our faith and don't see generosity as an indication that I am somebody who understands the gospel? It's not so much where I'm counting out my pennies to make sure that I've given my 10% to God, but rather it is the overflow of a heart that is in love with Jesus. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, senior pastor and Bible teacher at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. As Christians, living a generous life means giving without expecting anything in return. In doing so, we uplift others and enrich our own lives by experiencing the joy that comes from giving freely. Today, Pastor Steve explains what we can do to live generously in everyday life with the conclusion of a practical message called Money, Jesus, and Me. You can listen online at thejourney.fm. Here's Pastor Steve. This message today is for those who, whose hearts are like Mary, but who are kind of saying to themselves, I don't even know how to begin that. Like, what does that look like? What, what is a generous life practically look like. So this is going to be an intentionally practical message. It's like part three off of John 12, Mary and her extravagant gift. But I do want to turn to a different passage that I think is very helpful when it comes to this whole matter of generosity, and it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And so we begin with the, with the bigger picture that Paul here is writing to the Corinthians. Now what's interesting about this is that while Corinth was wealthy, Macedonia was not. In fact, they were very poor, impoverished, and yet what does Paul say? They gave an extraordinarily generous gift. Notice a few of the things that he describes here. Their, quote, test of affliction, and again, quote, their extreme poverty. Yet in spite of this, he says in verse 2 that they had a kind of wealth. What was their wealth? A wealth of generosity. So what he's doing here then is he's holding up these Macedonian Christians in front of the, of the Corinthian Christians and saying, basically, look what your poor brothers and sisters did. In verse 2, they gave out of their poverty. Verse 3, they gave beyond their means. Again, verse 3, they gave freely. That's sort of this happy to give it sort of thing. And then finally, they begged to give. They're the poorest. And yet they had such joy and gladness and generosity in their giving. And he holds that out before the Corinthians, the wealthy Corinthians, and says, doesn't that inspire you a little bit? Doesn't that challenge you a little bit? And indeed it does through the ages to us today. Now look at verse 7. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others, the Macedonians, that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And so now what the Apostle Paul does is he lists qualities of spiritual maturity. What does it look like to be a spiritually mature Christian? My faith in God, my trust in his promises, speech, the words of my mouth, 
reflecting a mature faith in my heart? A mature Christian is earnest in their faith, zealous for the things of God, passionate for the Lord's work. And finally, love, which of course is the supreme quality of all. Notice what Paul does, though, is that he adds to this now one quality that also is a part of spiritual maturity, and it is giving and generosity. See that you excel in this act of grace also. What does a spiritually mature Christian look like? Faith, absolutely. Speech, totally. Knowledge of God, on board. Loving, absolutely. Generous. There is no spiritual maturity without generosity. Money is an indication of value. How I use it is an indication of what I value. And that is why Jesus talked about money more than heaven and hell combined, not because what we do with money saves us, but what we do and how we use money is an indication of where our heart is. And this is why spiritual maturity always includes financial generosity, always. In fact, notice the reason for this. He points it out in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What did Christ give up? What did he, what did he give in terms of an offering? He gave it all. The guy that was the richest at the highest became the lowest, as he became a man, as he humbled himself to take on human flesh and lived in this world with weakness, now the Son of God is tired. Now he's hungry. Now he hurts himself. Now he feels the human experience. This is an impoverishment of the Son of God. The one who had the greatest highest became the very lowest. And why did he do that, folks? So that we who are the lowest, the most impoverished, might become rich. This is his generosity to us, the generosity of the Son of God. And so Paul's whole argument here rests upon the generosity of Christ to us. And this is the reason, friends, there is no spiritual maturity apart from generosity, because the spiritually mature person is the person who gets the generosity of God to them. And that reflects then in their life. They get it, they get it, and they tremble at it. The spiritually immature who, oh yeah, Jesus came for me, la, 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 la. They are not moved in their heart and in their life to a, to a point where it connects with the other priorities of their life, primarily their money. And so they live in a kind of trite and superficial way where the gospel does not intersect with their billfold. Now, Thankfully, we grow, don't we? We grow. And Judas's can become Mary's. And we celebrate that and rejoice in that. And I would bet even the most mature Christians that we have here, at points in their life in the past, this maturity was not evident. But this is how God works in our life and develops us and grows us. And that is a thing to rejoice in when we see it happen. But I want to say it again, there is no spiritual maturity without generosity because generosity shows that I get the gospel. 
Jesus said it this way in Luke 16, if you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And this is what Paul is urging the Corinthian Christians. He's saying, look at the Macedonians. They got nothing. And they're joyously giving, begging for the opportunity to give more. You wealthy Corinthians, come on. Be inspired by their example and the example of Christ. Excel in the grace of giving. And that's my little exposition of the passage. Now, as I said earlier, this message is primarily helping Mary types figure out, how do I do that? Like, what does that look like? And so I would like to just, by way of application, talk about a basic guide to the generous life. And I really just have two things that I want to share here. The first one is what I'm calling simplicity in life. Simplicity in life. Now by this, I don't mean that you eat vegetables only grown in your own garden and that we all sort of move on to a commune where we wear clothing only made of burlap and sort of catch rainwater to drink and we just get all kind of Amish here. Here's what I mean by this, and it's just a simple reality. If I am going to be generous, I have to have something to be generous with. If I'm going to be generous, I've got to have something that I can be generous with. And the only way to have something that I can be generous with is if I live sufficiently beneath my income to create a generosity margin. Now, that's just simple math, but there's a truth there. And the challenge for us in particular is that we live in a very materialistic culture where through marketing and the opinions of our neighbors and just the way that we live as Americans, there are a thousand opportunities every single week to spend the generosity margin and to find ourselves in a place where, you know, I like to give. I just don't got nothing, though because I have spent and committed myself so deeply, there is no margin for me to give. Now, I've got good news for you, Christian. I've got good news. God has given you a weapon in this battle. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you look at Galatians 5, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. When the Spirit is active in my life, I am more in control of myself than I have ever been, which means then that as I live in this culture where I have billboards and advertisements and other materialistic people around me urging me to live at a certain level that I can't afford creates no generosity margin, I have within me the Holy Spirit. And when I am yielding to his control in my life, I have the ability to say no. Did you know that? Now, some of you are going, I can't do it. I go to the store and the items, they call my name. And they're saying, buy me, buy me. And I get the applications in the mail for the credit cards. And they're like offering only 10% a month interest, which is so much better than the 45% I'm paying on my current credit card that I, I got to sign up, but with it, I get, I, they give me extra credit there, and then I just don't know what to do, and la, la, and on it goes. You know what I'm getting at here? 
We live in a culture that begs us to disbelieve what this is talking about and to not live that way, to live at our means or to go in debt and to live over our means. And when I do that, what am I doing? I am not positioning myself to be able to be generous because I'm spending all of that generosity. The testimony we had from uh, this very cute couple in the front row, weren't they cute? I just thought that that was just really great. Thank you for that. The testimony we have from this couple who shared some personal financial things with us, thank you for that. That's not easy to do. Their testimony was that they had to get their financial house in order and for the purpose of living a lifestyle of generosity. I commend their example to you. It just seems to me that way too many Christians, and I've been doing the pastoring thing almost 20 years now, way too many Christians make unwise financial decisions in their life about any number of things that won't matter in eternity, and it keeps them from living a lifestyle of generosity. And this is where I think Financial Peace University or Crown Ministries, there's lots of groups out there that can kind of help us get our, our house back in order. And I would urge you to do that. I would further add this. I think that when God's people are living according to God's principles regarding what it means to love your neighbor, what it means to be a godly employee, what it means to have a good work ethic as the old Puritans used to teach, that there is built into the system of God's, this world here, a kind of prospering that comes when we, when we work hard and when we are industrious and when we're faithful on the job and when we are entrepreneurial and all of that I think needs to be encouraged. Why? Because there are two ways to have more money. Make more, spend less. God's people ought to be the best employees in the company. And with that, there comes a kind of prospering, not all the time, but often. So work hard, do it for the Lord. Simplicity in life, this is to ask the question, listen carefully everybody, this is to ask the question when I am making a spending decision, will this decision keep me from being generous to God? And if the answer to that is yes, then you need to think very hard about whether God would have you to make that decision. Because we know it's God's will that we be generous. Now, in saying that, that is not to say that spending money is wrong or having nice things is wrong or anything like that. In fact, as I stand here today, I've got, I'm wearing, this is, this is like my favorite watch. I wear it mostly on, it's like, kind of like my preaching watch. It's kind of nice, isn't it? It's a fossil, which isn't like luxury, but it's not bad. It's sparkly. Is it wrong for me to be wearing this uh, how about this shirt? This is actually the first weekend I've worn this shirt. It's a brand new shirt. I bought it at Macy's. Now, some of you are getting all judgmental preaching a message like that. He should be shopping at Walmart, not at Macy's. You'll be happy to know I got this and this major sale. Because that's how I roll, all right? That's how I do it. I like nice things. I don't mind delaying gratification so I can buy a nice thing. But if I'm by buying my fossil watch, now have no margin to give to God, Timex is fine. And we need to think this way and not buy into our culture's mindset 
and the idols of the community around us. And I also want to say on this that we need to love each other in the differences that we're going to have on this. Because what I don't want to create here is some kind of a neo-monasticism where all of a sudden you're all looking down the row and like, what kind of watch is he wearing? And all the BMW owners are rushing out of the service right now to get out of the parking lot quickly before anybody sees them driving a BMW. I personally like BMW. And you could allow the pastors to borrow that to find treasure in heaven possibly from that. But I don't necessarily think it's wrong to own a BMW. It's why I own it, right? Is it a status symbol to me? Am I finding my identity in that? Am I spending myself out of an ability to be generous to God and the supporting of his work? There's any number of questions that relate to that for our, our cars and our houses and our clothing and our jewelry and all the rest. And we're gonna come to different conclusions on that. We all will give an account for our life and we need to let God be the judge on that. But we need to personally ask those hard questions, don't you think? Why? because there is no spiritual maturity apart from generosity. And we wanna be a mature congregation with mature believers in it. Here's the second thing I wanna say. Remember Herman Cain, 999? 10-10-80, 10-10-80. And the reason I put this up is that we have people who've been Christians a long time here, but we have a lot of people that are new believers or are getting started in their spiritual walk, and you're kind of like, I don't even know how to start. What do I do? I want to be generous. What does it look like? Here, I think, is at least a place to start. So let me walk through 10, 10, 80. The first 10 represents what the Bible calls a tithe. Tithe is the Hebrew word for tenth, okay? Tenth. It comes from the Old Testament uh, teaching where God's people were called to give the first fruits, the first 10% to God. We find uh, Abraham tithing to Melchizedek prior to the giving of the law. Uh, we, we find as well God making it a law in Leviticus 27 that God's people were to do this and along with other gifts that they would give for the priests and the temple and feasts and other things. But it was the first fruits, the first 10%, and the tithe in the Old Testament became a kind of uh, indication of where God's people's hearts were. Because like in the prophet Amos, we find that the people were giving their tithes, but their hearts weren't in it. And God didn't like that. And then by the time you get to Malachi, the people weren't even giving their tithes at all. And so there, the spirit of the people in the giving was a kind of indication of where they were spiritually. Now you get to the New Testament, and there's one place where Jesus implicitly endorses the tithe, Matthew 23, 23, but that's all you get in the new covenant. In the new covenant, the rest of the teaching is on what is known as grace giving, 2 Corinthians 8, we just read this, grace giving. And in grace giving, it's not so much where I'm counting out my pennies to make sure that I've given my 10% to God, but rather it is the overflow of a heart that is in love with Jesus. And what does that kind of grace giving look like? Now, some of you maybe are thinking, well, <clears throat> I'm going to breathe a sigh of relief because that first 10 was sort of scary. I can sort of settle back into the grace-giving number. Let me remind you of what grace-giving looks like. Paul describes it here in 2 Corinthians 8 with the Macedonians. Uh, beyond their ability, urgently, and begging to give more and more all the time. Now, some of you are like, I think I kind of go back to that Old Testament 10%. Thank you very much. 
Because that sounds like a, a more than that to me, if I was to give beyond my means, right? But that, therein lies the challenge in the New Testament is it's not like a set number. But the tithe, I believe, is at least a good starting point. It's kind of like the training wheels of giving, the training wheels of generosity, how to get going with this. If you're a mature believer here and your heart is increasingly fell in love, fell in love, I don't like that language, has increasingly grown in, in, in love and treasuring of Christ, that number could have disappeared a long time ago for you. Grace giving. So the question I think to ask here is not how little do I need to give to get by and to feel okay, but rather am I laying up treasure in heaven? Am I rich toward God? Am I a Mary or am I a Judas? Okay, so that's the first 10. Start with that. The second 10, I'm just leaning on experts in the financial world who say it's a good idea to save 10%. So give God 10, put 10 away in savings, and when you look at that 80, realize that that 80% is God's as well. Some people go, okay, 10% to God, 10% in savings, and the rest is mine to do as I desire. No, that, that 80% has got to be viewed as God's as well. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It all is God's. So here's just a simple getting going thing. It's, again, kind of the training wheels of generosity. Now, before you look at that and go, <laughs> I'm doing awesome. I am so mature. Let me remind you of what Jesus ratio numbers were. 100, zero, zero. Pastor Steve, nobody can live like that. You gotta save, you gotta be thinking, you know, you gotta be investing and all that. And you know what? I agree. I live that way myself. I think that that's wise and prudent, and the Bible has a lot to say about that as well. But that ought to inspire us to greater levels of generosity and giving to God, don't you think? The example of Christ, he that was the richest became the poorest, so that by his poverty we might become the richest. And Paul just lays that out there and says, you wealthy Corinthian Christians, you just think about that. Let that sit on your soul and on your conscience and let it inform and direct what you do with the resources that God gives to you. I like that, 100, zero, zero. So that's the bottom line. May he be pleased and honored and glorified by the way that we handle his resources. As Psalm 21 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Therefore, we're tasked with the responsibility of being wise stewards of these precious gifts. You're listening to Pastor Steve DeWitt here on The Journey in the conclusion of a message called Money, Jesus, and Me. Remember, you can always revisit these messages online at thejourney.fm. Well, I want to take a moment to thank our listeners. The Journey is made possible in part by the gifts of generous listeners like you. Your financial support allows us to air this Bible teaching program on stations throughout Indiana, Illinois, Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, and Minnesota. In addition, your financial support allows us to share the truth of the gospel to eager listeners around the world through the Moody Radio Network and all major podcast platforms. These broadcasts are expensive, so would you join hands with us today? Your gift of any amount will bring the gospel to eager listeners around the globe. You can give online at thejourney.fm or call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 
756-8763. When you do, we'll say thanks by sending you a book called The Treasure Principle, written by best-selling author Randy Elkhorn. This book has transformed how millions view giving, and this revised and updated edition features an entire additional chapter plus a bonus section addressing frequently asked questions about how to live generously in everyday life. Request your copy of The Treasure Principle today and learn how to store up your treasure in heaven where they'll last forever. Call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. And while you're there, be sure to sign up to receive updates from The Journey. Just scroll to the box at the bottom of the page and then enter your name and email. And if you'd like to connect with us on Facebook or via email, you'll find those links at the top of the page. I'm Tim Svoboda. Be sure to join us next time for more teaching from Pastor Steve DeWitt here on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.